tolerance should be amazed at how much I know about music. I'm amazed at how much I know about music. Uh, but uh, I love that song, and I love the, the way they took uh, the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And those words are still true. Well, we're going to have a sword drill this morning. I'm going to have to have you turn two places in your Bible. Take one finger and stick it there in chapter 2 of Genesis toward the first part of the Bible. And then go over to the New Testament and put your finger there in Matthew chapter 19. And if you can put your fingers in your Bible and stand up at the same time, uh, join me in standing as we shall respect the reading of God's Word. And this is the Word of the Living God. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And then to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast of Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh." Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, as we think about some of the important issues in the election this year, uh, one of the issues is marriage. And I'm not going to tell you what the candidates' views are on marriage. I'm going to tell you what the Bible view of marriage is. This is not a political sermon. I have to give you a disclaimer. 
uh, because I, I do not want to preach a political sermon. I never intend to preach a political sermon. I intend to preach a biblical sermon on what the Bible says about marriage. I like what uh, Mike Huckabee, who's the former governor of Arkansas, and he wrote a book called A Simple Government, was published in 2011. And in talking about marriage, one of the chapters in that book, he says, basically, the decline of the family is a failure of personal responsibility. The personal rights of each one of us is sacred, a part of our connection to God, but they are linked to our personal responsibilities. If we fail to live up to those responsibilities, we will lose our rights, and the state, following its own agenda, will take over. And I think Mike Huckabee is prophetic as he wrote those words in 2011. Now basically I only have two points this morning. I know some of you like it when I only have two points. Uh, you know most time I have at least three points. Sometimes I have five or six points. Uh, but basically I have two scriptures this morning and we're going to talk first of all about words about marriage at creation and then we're going to hear a commentary about marriage from Christ. And uh, th that's Christ's commentary on what God said in Genesis. So let's just look and see what God's Word says about marriage. First of all, I want you to notice God had a plan. The Bible very plainly says, And the Lord God took the man and put him. Now I want you to know that as God took Adam and put him where he was, God in the same way in your life and in my life has a plan for us. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It does not matter how many mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how good you have been. God has a plan for your life. Some of you say, preacher, I've messed up on God's plan. Well, guess what? God knew you were going to mess up before you messed up. It didn't catch God by surprise. And God is a forgiving God. So there's no one here today that is beyond being redeemed. No one here today who's made a mistake that can't be forgiven. I want to say that. God has a plan. God knows that we are not going to be perfect. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for it. But God knows we are not going to be perfect. God's plan was, and the Lord God took the man and put him. And I want you to notice right up front, the word Lord there is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You say, well, you really emphasize that. That, anytime you see that in the King James Version of the Bible, that is the word Jehovah or Yahweh. It is a very, very special word to the Jewish people. The most sacred name for God is the L-O-R-D in all caps because it is Yahweh or Jehovah. And so it was Jehovah's plan. He took the man and put him. And then notice the provision he made for him. Where did he put him? He put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. God provided everything the man needed. He provided a job for him. Do you notice that he didn't just walk through the garden and talk about how beautiful it was? Some people think that work is a part of the curse. No, God planned for Adam to work before the curse was ever given. Work is a blessing. Uh, in fact, if you don't have a job you may be missing a blessing. And we have a jobs ministry that meets every Monday from 9 to 12, and they're trying to help people go to work, and they've been uh, successful in a lot of cases. So uh, work is not a part of the curse. Work is a part of God's blessings for us. 
He, there was a provision. He put man in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And then the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat. So God provided a job for him. God provided food for him. But then God gave him one prohibition. Notice that word, but. Anytime the word but is in the Bible, it's there for a reason. And uh, here it's to state the one prohibition God gave Adam. Now let me remind you, Later on, God would give Ten Commandments. I hear people talking all the time about, well, I can't be expected to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, Adam and Eve didn't keep the one commandment. God put one prohibition on him. He said, you can eat of all the trees. In fact, let me remind you, there was another tree in that garden that was called the Tree of Life. God did not say, Adam, don't eat of the Tree of Life. He said, there's one tree you shouldn't eat of. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. You say, wait a minute, preacher, I know how this is going to end. Adam and Eve, Eve actually takes the fruit and eats it, and then give Adam, gives Adam some, and he eats it. And they didn't drop dead. No, not physically. They didn't drop dead physically, but they died spiritually immediately. Immediately they began to be afraid of God. Immediately, they didn't want to face God. Immediately, they ran and hid. There was a prohibition to Adam, and God warned him seriously, don't eat of that, the fruit of that tree. And then notice God's pronouncement about the man. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. Do you realize that's the first time in the Bible God ever says something wasn't good? You go back and, and you can read every other pronouncement of God before that and God said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And finally, one time God said, it's very good. Now, I want to tell you, when God says something's very good, it's very good. He was excited. But then God says for the very first time, it is not good. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think God scratched his head and said, well, I made a mistake. I messed up. I should have made that man a woman when I made him. No, God didn't do that. Eve was created because Adam needed to know that she was God's special gift to him, God's creation for him, made from him. There's a reason for everything God does. We may not always know in this life why there are reasons for what God does, but God makes no mistakes. God is perfect. We don't always understand it, but God is perfect. He said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help me. And notice God's procurement. Now, God could have made a woman. He could just spoke a woman into existence. You say, how could he do that? Well, that's what he did to the world. God said, let there be light, and there was light. You know, God could do anything. He can speak, and things happen. But he had a special way to make the woman. Notice this, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. If you've ever had surgery and were put to sleep for surgery, the man who invented chloroform was reading the Bible. He was a surgeon in England, and he was reading in the Bible. In those days, you know what you had when you had surgery? You got a stick to chew on. This past spring, Mary had some outpatient surgery, and Brother Jim Miner and I were there when the doctor came out, and he was telling me Mary had done fine, and after she woke up, she could go home and tell me what to do for her. And I said, well, doctor, are you going to give her anything for pain? 
And he looked at me and he said, no, let's do it the old-fashioned way. Let's give her a stick to chew on. I thought that was funny. I don't think Mary would have thought that was funny. I think Mary would have chewed on something, but it wouldn't have been a stick. I guarantee you. But he said, no, we'll give her some stuff for her pain. But uh, that's literally when you had certain, they would put something in your mouth just so the other people around you wouldn't hear you screaming. But he looked at this scripture and said, a deep sleep, and he invented chloroform. So if you've ever been put to sleep, and we've improved on chloroform since then, if you've ever been put to sleep, it comes right from the Bible here. God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and removed a rib from his side. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, which made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now I want to tell you, this is a special creation for two reasons. First of all, God wanted Adam to know that he was incomplete without Eve. And also he wanted Eve to know she was taken from Adam's side. She was taken from those bones closest to Adam's heart. I say this in almost every wedding I do, that the reason God took woman from man's side is so they could walk hand in hand and arm in arm and heart to heart through life. God did that for a reason. So we will see that this is a close relationship between a husband and a wife. And so God made the woman, and the Hebrew word for man is ish, and the Hebrew word for woman is isha, which means from man. And so he made the woman from man. And then notice God's perfection. When God did it, it was okay. Notice they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They were naked and they were not ashamed. Why? Because they were innocent. They were in a relationship with each other. They loved each other. They were fulfilling God's will for each other. They were naked and were not ashamed. They were in innocence. Now let me say this about today. Don't you think that these people today which have their pictures made with their clothes off are innocent? They are not. Don't you think that all this stuff, and I want to tell you, and I'm going to be honest, young people, I love you. I love you. I love you. But there are certain parts of your body which need to remain private. I hate to even say this. I'm 64 years old. I don't know that I've ever said this before. But there are some things that are between a husband and his wife and nobody else. The Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. Now you can still have that innocent relationship if you save yourself for marriage. And that means no pictures, no sexting on a, on a cell phone, uh, nothing like that. Because that breaks the innocence that God created within all of us for marriage. God expects men to be virgins when they get married. God expects women to be virgins when they get married. There is no double standard. Now, in America today, more people are living together before they get married. You know what they're saying? Well, we're going to try this out to see how this works. If I went down to Ernest McCarty tomorrow, and I told Mr. McCarty, Mr. McCarty, I've bought two cars from you. And I just want to take a car out to see if it's going to work. And he'd say, well, preacher, sure, you want to drive it down to the church? I said, no, I just want to keep it. How long do you want to keep it? Well, until I make sure it's what I want. Well, well, preacher, how long are you going to keep it? I don't know. Six months, a year, two years. When the tires wear out, I might bring it back and let you put some more tires. And then I might decide I want to buy it. Do you think Ernest McCarty is going to let me do that? No, he's not. 
he's going to call for folks and say, y'all need to lock this preacher up. He's crazy. And I would be. You know, the sad fact is that people who live together before they get married to see if they're compatible, more of them end up getting divorced after they get married than those people who don't live together before they're married. Years ago, I had to do this, and I hated to have to do it. But when we made a wedding packet up, I had to put a cover letter in that wedding packet and tell couples, if you want to get married in the, in the sanctuary at First Baptist Pell, and by the way, this wasn't just in this sanctuary. It was in the other sanctuary as well. If you want to get married, have a big church wedding, don't live together before you get married or you can't get married here. You say, preacher, I bet you've made some people mad. You know, I sure have. Man, people get mad when you say, hey, if y'all are living together, it's wrong. And don't have a big church wedding to ask God to bless what you've been doing in sin. Don't do it. And I said, here's your options. Quit living together, separate, and stay separate until you get married. Or go ahead and get married now. Not have a big church wedding. Make a mockery of it. You say, what have people done? Well, some of them have done that. We've had people that separated and married. I was shocked when I had to write that letter. I never thought when I was a young minister I'd ever have to write that letter. But I did. Why? Because a lot of people are living together before they get married. I want to tell you, when you get married, you want to be right in the eyes of God because it was God who created marriage in the first place. You say, preacher, aren't you afraid you'll make people mad? Listen, I'm afraid I'm going to make God mad. I'm more afraid of God than I am anybody. Jesus said you ought not fear the person that can kill your body. You ought to fear who can kill your soul. And I'm going to stand on God's promises, and if it makes you mad, so be it. Get over it and do the right thing. They were both naked. The man and his wife were not ashamed. Well, when Jesus came, the Pharisees, who loved the Bible, they loved the Old Testament, they loved the law, were not satisfied. And so they came and asked him a question. They said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And I love what Jesus did. First of all, he reminded these old Pharisees of the source of marriage. And buddy, he stuck them. He said, have ye not read? The Pharisees were always reading the Bible. They were always pointing to things in the Bible. They were talking about every jot, every tittle. They were talking about every little bit of the law. And Jesus said, have you not read? He scalded them when he said that. And then he said these words, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Let me tell you why God has a right to put restrictions on marriage. God has a right to put restrictions on marriage because marriage is an institution of God. The state didn't institute marriage. Marriage was instituted by God in the Garden of Eden. God is the one who said this is the way it's going to be. And Jesus said, he, that, he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. Now I want to tell you, that ends it for me. I, I don't need to go any further about same-sex marriage. Same-sex marriage violates the law of God because God did not make two men. God did not make two women. God made a man and a woman and planned for them to live together as husband and wife. The source of marriage is God. And then notice the subject of marriage, a man and his wife. I love John MacArthur. I, I love what he says 
uh, about marriage. He says, when those two people come together, they literally, in God's view, become one person, one person. They abandon themselves to each other. They become the total possession of each other. They are one in mind and spirit and goals and direction and emotion and feeling and will and oneness, and that oneness is best seen in the child they produce, which is the perfect emblem of their union because that child bears all that they are in one, an indivisible number. Now let me say this. I want you to understand me. I am not saying here today that it is God's will for everybody to get married. Paul says it's not God's will for everybody to get married. The greatest human divine being that ever walked the face of the earth, the only human divine being that ever walked the face of the earth, lived a single and celibate life. Now you say, but preacher, I saw a show on the History Channel. Listen, don't depend on the History Channel for your theology, all right? You might as well watch the Disney Channel. Oh, we found this thing that said Jesus had a wife. Well, I'm not surprised. There's all kind of things that people find in the Middle East that are, are been there for a long time. And there were a lot of heresies there too. Gnosticism and mystery religions all came up out of the Middle East. Jesus lived a single and celibate life. And if you're single, you are a whole person. You know, we talk about family. I want to tell you, and, and let me say this. Some of you are single because you've never married. Well, that obviously is God's will. You say, well, what if God brings somebody into my life? Well, you'll know it, and then you'll marry. And if God doesn't, then you're going to live your life without a, without a spouse because that was God's will. But notice, it's a man and his wife. It doesn't say a man and his wives. It doesn't say a wife and her husbands. It says a man and his wife. The subjects of marriage are a man and his wife. When Mary and I got married, we talked about it, and we tore the word divorce out of the dictionary. Now you say, well, that means you never had problems. I didn't say that. I used to tell people we never had an argument. Sometimes we had discussions that went on for three or four months <laughs> and that people in Columbiana could hear them. And, and listen, Mary's getting a little worried because she read somewhere that the longer you're married, the more you think alike and the more you act alike. And it said, the longer you're married, the more you look alike. And she's really worried. I'm really happy. I'm finally going to be pretty. Mary's really worried. But do you think Mary and I see eye to eye on everything? We do not. In fact, just yesterday, I was taking my wife out to eat, and I was taking her to one of our favorite places. I've been off my diet. This is confession. <laughs> and I got up yesterday, and I said, how would you like to go to Golden Corral for breakfast? She was in the car <laughs> before the last sentence came out of my mouth. She had her seatbelt on. I'm still coming down the steps. She had the seatbelt on. She's ready. That girl loves Golden Corral for bread. And I do too. And it was good. I tell you what, it was good. Some of you are getting hungry already. I came walking down the street. I'm taking her to Golden Corral, one of her favorite places. I get in the car and she said, those are the ugliest shoes I have ever seen. 
And I said, but they're comfortable. And she said, but they're ugly. And I said, but they're comfortable. And she said, do you not care what your feet look like? And I said, I guarantee it'll look worse if I take my shoes and socks off. All the way down to Golden Corral, we have a discussion about my ugly shoes. I have a hunch those shoes are going to go mysteriously missing this week. I, I may have to put an armed guard on those shoes. We don't see eye to eye on everything. But I will tell you this. The devil wants to break us up even to this day. He wants to break us up because can you imagine the damage that would do in this community? Pastor at First Baptist Church, Pelham, and his wife, the man who said, my wife was made for me and I was made for my wife, and we finally decide we don't love each other, we're not going to live together. Listen, I want to tell you, divorce is not in our dictionary. We're not going to let it happen. You say, well, preacher, you just never had any problems. Listen, the devil has tried to break up our marriage. I guarantee you this, and I don't know all of you. I don't know all your past history, but I can tell you this. The devil has tried to break up me and my wife a whole lot more probably than anybody else here in this church, maybe with the exception of Paul and Barbara, because they've been in it 10 years longer than we have. And they'll say amen to this because they know the devil would drive a wedge between a pastor and his wife and get them to divorce. But notice that God's will is for us to be married forever. Now, some people are divorced, and it wasn't your fault. I know some people that did everything they could to save their marriage. Some people in this church that I know did everything they could to save their marriage. One day, we'll stand before God, and we'll give an account for what we did, what I did with what God gave me spiritually, and what I did with what God gave me in my marital life. Did I have a commitment because I have a commitment to God first? And, my, and by the way, I told my wife on our wedding day, my ultimate commitment is not to you. My ultimate commitment is to God. But because my ultimate commitment is to God, I'm going to do what God says. We're going to be married until death do us part. And when that preacher said to me, do you take this woman to be your wife, to have and to hold till death do you part? I said I do, and I meant it. And I still mean it. And I love her more today than I did then. And we've been through a lot of valleys in our life. We've been on a lot of mountaintops. We've been through a lot of valleys. And I'll say this. God has been faithful. And he will be faithful. I'm not going to tell you you're not going to have problems in your marriage. But remember, Jesus said that a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And there to be one flesh. And there to be one flesh until... God calls one of them home. Friday night down at University Hospital. And I want to say this. I have never seen a hospital staff have more compassion. We were in the emergency room. Brother Don was there. I had an appointment at 2. And as soon as that appointment was over, I was going down there. And I got there and they were taking Brother Joe up to an intensive care type room. They knew there was nothing they could do for him. And I got there, and, and the nurse in the ER where he'd been for about an hour and a half, I said, before we go, I'd like for us to have prayer. You know what that nurse did? She started pulling her rubber gloves off. And she got up at the head of the bed, and she grabbed Joe's wife by the hand, and we circled around that bed, that gurney in the emergency room, and we had prayer. 
And the doctors that talked to us were kind and compassionate. They told us that with a brain injury like that, there was absolutely nothing they could do to help him. They put him on a respirator, and they came and talked to the family, and they said, do you want us to keep him on the respirator? And the family wrestled with it and finally decided, no, we want to take the respirator off. But before they could take the respirator off, Brother Joe's blood pressure started bottoming out. We stood around that bed after all the tubes and everything had been taken out, and they cleaned him up for his family to say goodbye to him. And I told Francis, I said, Francis, Joe kept his promise. 54 years ago, he promised to love you until you were separated by death. And I said, he just kept his promise. I don't know when that day will happen for me. I don't know if it will be me or Mary. But my goal, my aim, my desire is to keep that promise I made God and I made my father-in-law and I made my pastor and I made my daddy and I made my wife that I would stay with her as long as we both lived. Folks, I want to tell you, if you've got a commitment like that, hell itself cannot break up your marriage. When you fall on Jesus, and I mean sometimes you have to fall on him in marriage. You have to fall on him and say, Lord, help me. I can't go on in the flesh, but Lord, my marriage is a mess, but you can put it back together. You know that old nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. A little girl heard that, and she said, I don't like that. And her daddy said, what don't you like about it? And she said, well, it said all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. It didn't say the king couldn't put him together again. And I want you to know, your marriage might be like Humpty Dumpty. You may have a great fall, and you may be in pieces. But I want to tell you, the king's horses and the king's men can't put you together again. But you let the king of kings come, and he'll take every piece, and he'll put it back together, and it'll be better than it ever was if you'll make that commitment to him. That's the sanctity of marriage today. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. I say that every wedding I do because Jesus said it and it's important. The word asunder that's in the King James is the Greek word parizo, which is translated put away and can be translated divorce. Now, I got a little long-winded, so you have to turn the page to get the action points. Here are the action points. Number one, make your marriage strong and secure by committing it to God as a covenant relationship everybody who marries in this sanctuary has a covenant relationship when they marry they go to covenant counseling and they sign a marriage covenant when they get married here in this sanctuary and as they walk down as a bride walks down this aisle she is literally walking over the promises in the Bible to brides and grooms about marriage down here on the altar all the promises about prayer are written on the concrete under the carpet we did that. We built this building because people that, that walk down this aisle are walking on the promises of God. As I stand here this morning, under my feet is a copy of God's Word. Over my head is a copy of God's Word. I'm reminded when I preach in this pulpit, I'm on God's Word and I'm under God's Word. And what comes out of here ought to be God's Word. 
And we need to have strong covenant marriages. Number two, see which political party's platform has the strongest commitment to traditional marriage. You won't have to look far to find out. I'm just being honest. I could not in good conscience vote for a candidate who does not have a strong commitment to a biblical view of marriage because I will stand before God for how I cast my ballot. And if I know what's right and don't do what's right, I stand before God guilty. And then thirdly, pray for strong biblical homes to be established and to nurture children in the ways of God. I, I want to bring you some good news this morning. Last Sunday afternoon, we ordained six new deacons. I was in the ordination council for those six deacons and their wives. And I'm not, I don't want you other deacons to get mad at me or let this hurt your feelings. I just want to give you some good news. God has done a work in the lives of these six men and their wives that is strong. They have a commitment to God, to each other, to their marriage. And I am more encouraged about the future of our deacon ministry than I've ever been in my life. And I've always loved our deacons. I have always, I was raised by a deacon. I grew up loving a deacon who was my daddy. I never had a problem with a deacon. I didn't always agree with him. I never had a problem with him. We talked it out. But I will say this. I am more encouraged because they may say, well, young people aren't coming here. Oh, they are here. They're not raising their children in their tradition. Oh, they are here. They're not getting biblical instruction. Oh, they are here. But I will tell you, we need to reach more. I'm excited about the ones we have, but there are those out there that we need to read. And there are families that are hurting right now. There are families that are hurting. I, I realize there are probably is in this room are families that are hurting right now. And you may be hanging by a thread. Well, I have good news for you. And the good news is this. God is the greatest ally of the home. The devil's the greatest foe. God is the greatest ally. And let me say this, and I, and I have to be honest. The problem in most marriage problems is selfishness and pride. It gets quiet when you preach, but I have to tell the truth. Shame the devil. The middle word in pride is I. The middle word in sin is I. I turned to my wife one time, and I said, Honey, the problem with us is me. I've had to say that more times than not. You say, oh, don't you think Miss Mary can do anything wrong? Well, I know y'all don't, so I... No, she, she's, she's human. She's human. But most of the time, and I'm being honest, and, and men, let me say this. I see the greatest problem in America with marriage today, passive men. Oh, we get passionate about football. Oh, I love football. I like my wife. How do you think that makes your wife feel? You know, your football team, score team, team scores a touchdown. You jump up and cheer, yell, scream. Your wife comes in, brings you a T-bone steak. Well, that's good. And the next time your wife brings you that T-bone steak in, you stand up and cheer and 
sing the fight song for her and hug her neck and kiss her. When she comes to, she'll appreciate it. <laughs> Maybe, you know, I, listen, I like sports. I like deer hunting. But I love Jesus and I love my wife. And I don't want there to be any doubt about that. You say, what if you couldn't ever watch football again? As long as I got Jesus and my wife, I'm all right. What if you couldn't ever deer hunt again? As long as I got Jesus and my wife, I'm all right. Because I have learned other things in life are trivial and are fading away. But when I made a commitment to God and to my wife, and I want to honor, I'm, 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 I'm looking at the finish line. It's out there. And I don't want to be a cast off, and I don't want to finish bad. I want to finish strong. I want to finish strong. And if I keep my eyes on Jesus, stay in obedience to his word, and make the, keep the commitment I've made, I can do that. We do need to pray for other people. We need to pray for God to protect the married couples in this church. We need to pray for God to give these young people a desire to live a holy life so that when they stand at a marriage altar, whether it's this altar or another one, they can come in obedience to his word. Let's commit this to prayer. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you for a clear teaching in your word. Lord, your word makes it perfectly clear that marriage is a covenant relationship between a man and a woman. As they become husband and wife, they are joined forever. Until death parts them, Lord, they are to live as husband and wife. And Lord, I know there'll be problems. I know that you'll bless them and you'll lead them and guide them. And Father, I pray that as we thank you for our marriages, Lord, there are others that are struggling right now. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that they would be encouraged today to know that you are their greatest ally and you can help them through the valleys to get back to that mountaintop. And Lord, I thank you that so many times in our life together when we've had disagreements, Lord, and we've gotten back together, that reconciliation and that fellowship again was so sweet. It was just like going back to that marriage altar again. Lord, I pray for people here today that aren't saved. Father, I pray that they would come to know Jesus, that they would not just be a fan of Jesus. They'd be a totally committed, sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Father, help us not to be passionate about pastimes. But help us to be passionate about your will and your word and your way in our life. And now, Father, if there are those here that need a church home, if there are those here who need to be saved, if there are those here who want to come to the altar and pray during this invitation, Lord, the altar is open. Father, I pray those would come who need to come today. You know who they are. You know where they are. You know what they need to do. Father, give them the strength to step out today and do what you're asking them to do. Father, I pray this for Jesus' sake.